Would you bow with me once again for a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts? Father, once again we bow before you, so dependent upon your care for our souls. Every moment, every minute, every day, every week, every year. We know that we are fully dependent upon you for it all. And as we even open your word this morning, we need you with us. We need you to open our eyes and our understanding and to cause us to know you. So this morning as we read your word, as we hear your word, as we study your word, Lord, may you through your spirit help us to understand it, illumine our minds and our hearts that we might know you more, obey you more, glorify you more, honor you more, that your joy and our joy would be full. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's take our Bibles and turn in them to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, as we return our attention this morning to verses 13 through 25. Romans chapter 7, verses 13 to 25. I want to begin by reading these for us. Paul says, Therefore did that which is good become a cause of death for me. May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin, by effecting my death through that which is good, that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For that which I am doing I do not understand, because I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. If I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. So I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good, Because I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. And we began last time in this text with me briefly 
helping us understand that over the years there has been much confusion within evangelicalism concerning this passage because far too many, I believe, evangelical Christians focus on the who of this passage rather than on the what of this passage. What do I mean? I mean that far too many Bible interpreters focus on who is being described here when Paul describes this situation. In other words, in the original language, the word ego, which is the word for I, you see the word I in here multiple times. People focus on who is he talking about? Who is the I of this passage? They're attempting to decide if, for example, if this is a true believer that Paul is describing here, then is he talking about a true believer in their daily struggle to live as they ought to live in obedience to Jesus Christ? They know that Christ commands us, all Christians, in John chapter 13, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. And so... That is to say that those who are true believers are those who have a desire to and work to live in obedience to the Word of God. And all of us would say, Amen. That is a daily war going on against sin in the present. We all have that, right? As Christians. In other words, as Christians, we have been freed from the power of sin. We have been freed from the ultimate penalty of sin. But we have not yet been freed from the presence of sin. And we are wise to readily acknowledge that fact. In fact, 1 John says, which is a description of the Christian life, if you say you're without sin, then you call God a liar. None of us would rightly want to do that. We acknowledge the fact of sin. Sin is still present in us and is still present around us. And because we are not yet glorified in time, we are currently living on this earth. Therefore, sin is still around. We are glorified in the eyes and the mind of God and the glories of heaven now. We are ultimately glorified. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, Paul even describes us in that way. Those whom God predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, these he also glorified. Those are all past tense terms. Those are all things that have happened ultimately. So we are now, in God's eyes, fully glorified by our being in Christ by faith. But we have not yet been We are yet to be glorified in time. We are not in our immortal glorified bodies. That will come one day, either when we physically pass from this earth and are immediately in the presence of Christ, or when Christ returns and those who are alive will meet him in the air. We will be transformed into that glorious state, as Paul tells the Thessalonian church. But that is all to say that sin is still present even though we have been freed from the penalty of sin and freed from the power of sin. So, is that the who that Paul is speaking about here in Romans chapter 7? Is he talking about the Christian, the Christian struggle in the Christian life? 
some wonder about that. So is Paul really dealing with sanctification here? That's the idea. Or is he speaking about the unbeliever? Specifically, himself, before he came to be saved on the road to Damascus. Is Paul speaking about himself, a Jew under the law, a Jew who would have loved the law? Is Paul describing specifically for his Jewish brothers and sisters what it is like to try to live according to the law that you have been taught throughout your whole life, even from a young child in the Jewish family, and then going on throughout your whole life, and you find that it is impossible to do so? In other words, is Paul describing the legalist, primarily the Jewish legalist, who has been taught and who thinks that they can be found innocent in the eyes of God by means of their efforts at law-keeping. Is that who Paul is describing here in John cha- or in Romans chapter 7? Or is the idea, as under that description, about justification? These debates over this go on even today. And however, while I believe those discussions are important. I believe that Paul has one other thing in mind when he writes this. And I don't believe that those, either of those are the emphasis at which Paul is driving at when he describes this situation. In other words, in Paul's minds, the who of it is not the most important thing. I do not believe that Paul is not as interested Or I do believe that Paul is not as interested in the who of this passage as he is in the what of this passage. In other words, what Paul is continuing to emphasize here in Romans chapter 7 verses 13 through 25 is what he has been emphasizing throughout the entire letter. Paul is not now all of a sudden changing directions and trying to emphasize something else. It started to be proclaimed all the way back in chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, or to the Jew and to the Gentile. Or we'll just synthesize that to the entire world. It is the power of God unto salvation. Now that declares something extremely important for all of mankind. You say, what is that? Good question. Here it is, that salvation is completely a work of God and not of man. When Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, Paul is saying to all men right at the very beginning, it's going to take God to save you. You cannot get saved on your own. Now, how was it that Paul could make that kind of declaration? Because verse 17 of chapter 1 that we looked at months ago says, For in it, what? The gospel. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed by faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. Salvation comes by faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing of the Word of God. In other words, justification 
and all that is included in and through the attachment to Jesus Christ is a declared reality by God based upon the gift of faith and not by any works of man. That is the same theme of this entire letter. That is the emphasis that is being carried out throughout this entire letter. Innocence before God can never be earned by human effort at rule-keeping or commandment-keeping or efforts at morality or you fill in the blank. As long as it's human efforts, you cannot maintain or, re- or receive or gain any innocence before God. Innocence before God is a declaration made by God in light of the gift of faith whose object is Jesus Christ. We have said it this way in our study many, many times. Justification or innocence is by faith alone. Innocence is by faith alone. In fact, back in chapter 3, verse 24 Paul said it this way, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. Justification is a gift by God's grace. Therefore, when one is actually justified, and those who are actually justified are those who are true Christians, then we have peace with God, as we saw in our study. We stand in grace, as we saw in our study, and we strive for obedience to the law of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul is emphasizing in chapter 7 is the very same truth that he has been emphasizing throughout. We cannot produce anything in our lives by means of our own human effort. You cannot be justified by your efforts at law-keeping, nor can you be made more holy as a true believer than you already are in Jesus Christ by means of human effort-keeping. All we can do as Christians by the power of the Holy Spirit is to reflect in our actions of obedience the very holiness of Christ in which we are already enveloped. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. All we can do as Christians by the power of the Holy Spirit is to reflect in our actions of obedience the very holiness of Christ in which we are already enveloped. The presence of sin is an ever-present hindrance to that end. So that is what Paul is emphasizing here in Romans chapter 7. Whether he is speaking specifically to his Jewish brothers and sisters as unbelievers, or whether he is speaking and describing the Christian in their struggling Christian life, we must know this. By means of our effort, no one is justified and no one is sanctified. By means of our effort, 
No unbeliever is found to be innocent before God, and no believer is found to be more holy before God. And we could think of it this way. Our problem is not the law of God. Our problem is not that the law is bad or a hindrance to our justification and growth and sanctification. The law isn't the problem. The problem is sin. Sin is the problem. And if you think that you can be in some way justified or sanctified before God in your life by means of your own efforts and cranking it up and grabbing yourself up by your own discipline and bootstraps and these kinds of human efforts, then you have a real problem. You're in a real troubled place. Why? Because of sin. Sin is the problem. In verses 14 to 25... Paul works this out for us. We see the outworking of that kind of thinking shown to us by means of two examples, or two explanations, I should say, and then a final conclusion. And so I just want to look at these this morning. Two two explanations, and then a final conclusion. Explanation number one, verses 14 to 17. Here's what he says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. If you notice, he uses the same phraseology in verse 20. I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. So here is the problem. Does it matter if you are a Jew like Paul was prior to his conversion? And you are attempting to keep the law as... God had given it as best as you can. You're, you're cranking it out. You're trying to be righteous in your practice. Or whether you're truly a converted person trying to live obediently. One thing is true of all these situations. The law of God is divinely given and it is a divinely given entity to us and yet we all are in the human realm. It is not we are. And verse 14 clearly makes the distinction concerning something that we actually know to be true. Paul says, for we know. For we know. Either Paul is collectively talking about the we of the Jewish brothers and sisters that potentially he's talking about as unbelievers, or he's talking as a collective we to those who are saved. We know. Either way, we know something here that is true. The Jew knew this very well. They had been taught this from their very childhood, that the law was spiritual. Moses had received the law from God. The Jew knew that, and we Christians know that inherently. We know that the Bible is God's Word. It even holds that title. It is God's Word. It's not the product of men. We know this. The Scriptures, which is the entirety of God's law, is of divine origin. 
Therefore, the inherent nature of the law is that it is spiritual, Paul says. We know that the law is spiritual. The law is divine. We are not. We are human. He says we are of flesh. Notice he brings it very personal. If he's talking about himself, I am of flesh. By flesh, Paul is specifically referring to just the sinful reality of life, sinfulness in general. You notice that in the next phrase, he says, I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. That's describing what he means by flesh. So we know the law is spiritual, it's divine origin, but I am here in this humanity. I am of flesh, I am sinful. This is the very phrase why many believe that Paul is referring to himself prior to salvation, a Jew attempting to keep the law. Sold into bondage to sin, that phraseology is a tough phrase to fully attribute all the details of potentially that phrase to a truly saved person. The truly saved, to say the truly saved are sold into bondage to sin in Christ is difficult because Paul has already told us that in Christ we have been freed from sin. Just go back for a moment to chapter 6. I just want to show us this. Chapter 6, verse 7. For he who has died is freed from sin. Verse 18. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Verse 22 of chapter 6. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God. It's hard to argue with that reality. We are in Christ. If we've died with Him, we are freed from sin. We've been freed from sin, freed from its ownership, freed from its eternal penalty. And yet, we, true Christians, still struggle with sin, don't we? Experientially, we know that. We read the words, I'm freed from sin. I'm, I'm I'm no longer owned by sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Now I'm a slave to righteousness. And yet the reality is, in my life, I still sin. Again, chapter 6, verse 6 and following shows us this struggle. Knowing this, right, we've been united with Christ, verse 5. With him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. We, as I read in verse 7, we've died. He who has died is free from sin. Now, verse 8, if we have died with Christ, then we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. The life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, then consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Live to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. The implication is sin happens. Even in the Christian life, sin happens. Sin is here. So if one is not saved, they are completely in bondage to sin. And we, the Christian, the saved, are still in the presence of sin. 
far too often both the unsaved and the saved are attempting to deal with sin through human means. Far too often we, even as Christians, are trying to deal with our sin by means of our own personal effort. Paul says, in essence, that's impossible. That's impossible. Paul says, I'll show you what's true. I'll show you the reality. I'll show you what's really true. Notice what Paul shows us. Paul shows us the truth of all of us because of sin. All of us. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. We see in our lives the desired acts replaced by detestable acts. Notice verse 15. For that which I am doing, I do not understand because I'm not practicing what I'd like to do. I'm doing the very thing I hate. The desired act is being replaced by the detestable act. Now, this certainly is how the Jew would have been thinking, including Paul. Prior to being converted on the Damascus Road, the Jew would have had a real affinity for the law of God. Most unbelievers, even Paul says, no one seeks after God. The unbeliever, the unbelieving Jew would have had an affinity for the law of God. They certainly would have been working hard to obey it because they were taught by means of keeping the law, you would be blessed. In other words, they had a desire, albeit the end being an illusion to attain. They couldn't attain to what the law said because they had to obey the law perfectly. If you violate one aspect of the law, you're a violator of the whole law. So even though they had the desire to keep the law, they would never, nor could they ever, attain to it. Why? Because sin always gets in the way. For that which I'm doing, I do not understand because I'm not practicing what I'd like to do. I'm doing the very thing I hate. Paul says, I don't understand why it is that I'm doing the very thing that I hate to do. I love the law. I desire the law. I want to do the law. And yet I find the reality that I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do. You see, for the Jew, they had no capacity to understand that. Why? They didn't know why they couldn't keep the law. They're completely blinded to sin. That's what sin does. It blinds you to spiritual truth. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's why Paul said right after that, for we do not preach ourselves. In other words, we don't preach human effort to salvation, human effort to justification, human effort to try to be sanctified. We don't preach that. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
could not do. Sadly, in the same way, even us, the Christian, you and I, read this text. And if Paul is speaking about the believer's life, then we see the same principle happening often in our own lives, don't we? That which we want to do, we don't seem to be doing. We desire to obey, and yet we find far too often that we are doing the very thing we hate. That which we detest replaces that which we desire. So is there a problem with the commandment? Well, I'm having a hard time doing that, so let's just get rid of that, because after all, we're under grace. No big deal. Is there a problem with what God is saying? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because it's difficult to do that, is there a problem with that? Sadly, we conclude there must be. Especially in the evangelical church today. Sadly, many are concluding there must be something wrong with the law. Get rid of it. That was for the Old Testament only. No need for you to look at the things of God and and strive to obey. That's legalism. No, it isn't. That's not legalism. That's the command of God. I'm not trying to attain something by obedience. I'm simply reflecting the righteousness of God already in me. Some say, well, God wouldn't require me to do that, which I cannot seem to do. After all, I'm under grace anyway. You see how easy it is to slide into that kind of position? You see how easy it is to take the words of God and because it's difficult for us to obey, we go, well, God, yeah, God would never equip me or never require me to do that which I could not do anyway. And after all, I stand in grace. Paul says, no, no. Effort isn't going to accomplish that. Why? Because sin is the problem. And the proof that the law is good is the fact that you have a sin problem. Verse 16, but if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, then in that doing, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. In other words, the result of my failure to keep the law is proof that the law is actually good. Why do I say that? Because if the law was bad, you wouldn't have any care to obey the law. You wouldn't have any care to do it, and your want to obey the law is proof that it is good. And the thing that all of us must realize is that we have a sin problem. The reason we don't obey, the reason the unbeliever doesn't do what God asks is not because the law is hard or the law is bad. It's because they have a sin problem. If you're unsaved like the Jews who are still like Paul prior to his salvation, then you have to realize that you have a sin problem that must be dealt with. And it will never be dealt with through your effort, only through faith in Jesus Christ. 
If you're a true Christian and you're sitting here today and you're truly a believer in Jesus Christ, it's not because the commandments are difficult to obey if you find it difficult in your obedience. It's not because the Word of God is hard. It is because of sin. We are far too often in our lives returning to sin. We are far too often, as it says in Romans chapter 6, letting sin reign in our mortal bodies rather than denying ourselves and obeying even against our flesh. Even though we've been given the power to obey by means of the Holy Spirit. Just like the unsaved, we too have a sin problem. So Paul says in verse 17, So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. Paul's not saying, listen, I'm not the one doing the sin. He's saying, listen, the reality is there's a presence in me that I have to realize and I have to acknowledge. There is a sin issue in me. That is the issue here. So that's explanation number one. The reason you can't be justified, the reason you can't be further sanctified any more than you already are sanctified in Jesus Christ is because sin gets in the way. God declares you righteous in Jesus Christ. God declares you sanctified in Jesus Christ. What's explanation number two? Explanation number two, verses 18 to 21. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of it, doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I'm no longer the one doing it. It's sin which indwells me. So I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. Now here's the explanation. Paul explains the very character of humanity in practice. The first was that the desirable is replaced by the detestable. Now Paul just explains the character of humanity in practice. He proves our sin problem. This is the second explanation as to why you cannot earn your justification or your sanctification. No good dwells in the fleshly body. Verses 18 and 19, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, in my humanness. Their wishing might be there, but the doing of it is not in my humanness. For the good that I wish in my humanness, I don't do. I practice the very evil that I do not wish in my humanness. So here Paul is describing our humanity, our condition from birth. While it is a collective reality, all humanity is infected with that. You notice Paul declares loudly in verse 18 the individual reality of our condition. For I know. I know. Before it was collective, we know. We know the law is spiritual. We know that nothing good is in us. Now Paul says, I know. I know. This is personal. 
This is personal. Individual. No one can rightly opt out. No one can rightly deny it. People try to deny it. People try to say they don't have sin. I had a guy tell me several weeks ago in the hospital when I was visiting someone else that he did not ever lie. To which I said, you just did. You can deny it all you want, but the reality is it's there. How do I know this about myself? Personal experience of life. Personal experience of life. Paul says, I know, because the wishing's there, but the doing is not. That's personal experience. The desire to do good is present, but the power to do that good is not there. Once again, another reason why many believe Paul is speaking about himself prior to salvation to his Jewish brothers and sisters. We have the power to believe as Christians. We have the power to do Surely the unsaved Jew would have clearly seen this to be true. Paul himself was patently aware of it about his own life prior to salvation. In fact, Paul even declared that in the verses prior to this over in verse 7 of chapter 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? No. On the contrary, I wouldn't have come to know sin except the law. For I wouldn't have known about coveting if the law did not say you shall not covet. Now Paul knew the law. Paul knew the Ten Commandments. Once he finally got it, once God opened his eyes, Paul saw coveting everywhere. Paul would have said he wasn't a coveter prior to salvation, but God opened his eyes. Praise God. He had the desire to obey the law of God. And in his mind, even though he thought he was doing pretty good, he even proclaims that according to the law, According to the letter of the law, the outward external duties of the law, Paul says to the Philippians, prior to his salvation, he was blameless. That's a big word. That's like saying to God, I don't sin. According to your law, God, I'm blameless. You can't even hold me accountable. Truth be known, in the truest sense of the law, to have a heart of obedience as God intended, Paul says, I had the desire but I had no power. The wishing was there, but the doing wasn't there. Every Jew could resonate with that sentiment. The desire was there, but they knew their own failures. They knew. In fact, every time they went to the temple to sacrifice, they knew. They knew they had failed. They needed a sacrificial atonement. And if you look at this as a Christian, we say to ourselves, yep, that's me. The wishing is there, but the doing, (laughs) I know nothing good dwells in me that is in myself. There is nothing inherently in me that is of redeeming value, at least in my sinful humanity. And I too, I desire to do what God commands, but it seems as if the doing of the good is not there. At times, I desire to read my Bible. Sometimes I don't. Desire to pray. And even while my eyes are closed, and even while I'm talking to God, my mind's going places that would cause a billy goat to puke. 
desire to love. Desire to sacrifice. But far too often I don't. So I see, Paul says, I, the good that I wish, verse 19, I don't do. But I practice the very evil that I do not wish. In other words, the result is that disobedience takes place rather than obedience in what is good. What's the problem? What's the problem? What's the problem with the Jew? What was the problem with Paul before salvation? What is our problem as Christians? The same problem. Sin. Sin is our problem. Verse 20, but if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I'm no longer the one doing it. Sin which indwells me. We have the same problem. So the detestable replaces the desired. The reality is all humanity, saved or unsaved, struggle. So what's the conclusion? What's the conclusion? Here it is. Here it is. Verse 21 and 24, oh, 21 to 25. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, observing the law of God, and on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. What's the conclusion? The conclusion is, here's the reality of living, and the only place our help comes from. The reality of our living is verses 21 to 24, and our help in verse 25. You say, what is Paul saying? You know what he's saying? You cannot do it on your own and by your own effort. You cannot. You cannot be justified on your own by your own effort. And as a believer, you cannot be sanctified on your own, by your own effort. Why? Because sin gets in the way. Sin gets in the way. Every time you try by your effort. Oh, sure, you desire. You desire. I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. This is why some say, Paul's talking to the Christian, the inner man, the real you, who you are on the inside. I concur with that. It's my desire, but sin is there, and sin gets in the way. And in the inner man, I love the law of God, but my members, far too often I'm allowing sin to reign. So for us as Christians, beloved, the war is on. 
It's war. It is all-out, full-scale war between you and the flesh. Every day. And by your own strength and by your own effort, you are a worthless warrior. As an unbeliever, attempting to try to justify yourself by your effort, all you will find is failure. All you will find is the reality that there is this desire in you potentially, and yet there's no success. Only failure, only condemnation before the only true God. And if you're a Christian and you have defined your sanctification by your efforts at obedience, and you look around and you say, well, because I'm doing this and this and this, I'm better than this Christian over here, and oh, how holy am I, and now you're defining yourself by your own justified acts, then you will continually believe that you are still under the condemnation of God, and you will convince yourself that you will never really obey because sin will happen all the time. And you'll go around beating yourself up like those who are trying to justify themselves by their own actions. And you will always think God is up there as one just watching over you. And the moment you step out of line, wham, he's going to smash you. Both, the believer and the unbeliever, need to run to the only place for help. Paul says, who will deliver me? Who will set me free from the body of this death? Notice he doesn't say from this body of death. He says from the body of this death. This place of no hope. Who's going to deliver me? The implication is I, I can't deliver myself. I've tried. I've extended myself to the very end. I, I, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. And I've convinced myself that I was doing okay. And I find the reality that I'm failing all the time. And I still sense the reality of, if I'm an unbeliever, of the condemnation of God on my head. Who's going to deliver me? The only answer that satisfies is verse 25. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. That hearkens us all the way back to chapter 1. Thanks be to the gospel. Thanks be to the reality that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it is the power of God and the salvation for all who believe. Thanks be to God that God did it. To the legalist, to those trying to earn their justification by means of effort, like Paul prior to his salvation, Paul says, Thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ, justification has been accomplished for all who believe. To the struggling Christian, we can proclaim the same truth. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ that you in Christ are as holy as you will ever be. You have been given the Holy Spirit and you can reflect the righteousness of God in your life by means of your obedience to the commandments. Knowing 
knowing that your failures can never remove you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God loses none of his own. And so my encouragement to us is just confess your sin, get up, deny yourself unto obedience in that new moment. The law of sin always appeals to our fleshly members, always. And it promotes the practice of disobedience in us. That's what it does. And that just leads to greater and greater sinfulness. The law of God appeals to our inner man. It promotes the desire for doing good, which leads to greater love for God's law. So either way, either way, whether Paul is describing himself before salvation in this passage or whether he's describing the struggle of the Christian life, the answer and the emphasis is the same. You cannot earn your justification and you cannot earn your sanctification by your personal effort. They are a gift of God. They are bound up in the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ and they are received by faith in Christ alone. Nothing else. This is exactly what Paul tells the Galatian church. Galatians 2.20 about his own life. I have been crucified with Christ. 